Hi, welcome to the Modern OT Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about defining occupational therapy, insights from OTs in the profession, and highlighting how students advocate occupational therapy while in school. I am Sirianni. And I am Laura. And our goal in this podcast is to show the modern definition of OT. So let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Modern OT Podcast. Today we have three special guests who run the account, The Three Vertebrates. They are three best friends in three different career paths in healthcare, and they're educating others on interdisciplinary collaboration. So to start off, um, I would like to have each of you guys kind of explain who you are, what career path you are in, and how far along in your career you are. Hi, my name is Val, and I'm about to start my last clinical rotation as a PT student um, before graduating in April. Hello, my name is Christy, and I started my first year of medical school this year, and then I'm almost finishing up my first semester. Hi, everyone. My name is Teresa, and I just graduated from OT school in May, um, and I'm currently practicing um, in an outpatient pediatric clinic. I know you guys have talked about this on your page a little bit, but just so to give like a refresh to everyone, um, I know you guys met all at like a pediatric like OT clinic. So I was just mm -hmm. curious like how you guys happened to volunteer at this place. Were you guys all looking into OT at one point and then kind of branched to different career paths? So I, um, I wasn't looking into OT. I actually didn't know about OT. I just knew that I wanted to work in the pediatric field. And then I heard about this um, center because it gives you a lot of hands-on experience. And then I got to learn more about OT. And then that's kind of how I met Teresa and Val. And then we all um, happened to volunteer on the same shifts. And we started around the same year as well. And then we kind of just gravitated towards each other. And then that's, we just kind of hit it off. Yeah, um, I in particular found the clinic because I was actually looking for OT hours because um, I knew after graduating undergrad that I wanted to do OT. So I completed hours at Karate for All in my gap year. I found Karate for All because I heard it was like a good experience for anyone that wanted to join the healthcare professions. Um, and because I like kids and then um, I also had martial <laughs> arts experience. So it was kind of perfect. So when was it that you guys decided to create your account, the three vertebrates? Was it like once you guys started getting to know each other a little bit or like further down the line? Um, so we actually were just on a Zoom meeting, just catching up with each other one day. And then Teresa was talking about how someone that she knows doesn't know which career she wanted to pursue. Um, so then Christy mentioned how there's a lot of healthcare professionals on Instagram and there's like a whole community that um, helps to educate people who don't know what to do. And then she jokingly said that we should all make an Instagram for our professions together. And then I was like, wait, we should actually do that. I feel like it would be really cool because I haven't <laughs> seen anything like that really before because um, I've already been on Instagram. I've been like in the healthcare community, um, but I haven't seen anyone really talk about the um, interdisciplinary collaboration aspect of it. So it was all three of our ideas. I love it. I think you guys have done a fantastic job 
your page is just like beautiful like it's like you know yeah you know like you want to learn and I think you're you guys are right you're like the, I feel like the only ones who are doing something like that so kudos to all of you thank you thank you so yeah. much <laughs> it's definitely very spontaneous I think we had our zoom, our zoom catch up on like a random Sunday because we um we were all living separately and it was during mm. quarantine and we hadn't seen each other. So we literally were catching up that Sunday, thought about it in that same hour or whatever, and then created the account mm -hmm. on that Tuesday in public. And then we started so, working yeah. on it like right away. Yeah, <laughs> like immediately. <laughs> oh, wow. That's awesome. I didn't realize you guys started like before quarantine or like during quarantine, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. We started mm -hmm. in July and um, mm -hmm. when we posted, that was about a week or two before like the idea came up mm -hmm. talk about perfect timing too yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we had a little bit of downtime so we figured like why not and then jumping into all of the ideas I think we just got really excited you know we mm -hmm. created like excel sheets we created a canva account we were thinking about handles um it was just a really fun process to start no that's really smart really really smart and how, which one of you guys came up with the name, the three vertebrae? That was Christy, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Christy. I, I have a thing for puns, and I was like, our username has to be punny, you guys. Like, I can do this. So that took a while, but we, we reached it. I think it took us like two hours to make a handle. Yeah. Oh my God. Two hours. Yeah, we were. Yeah. <laughs> I had a week. I was when we were creating our our handle. I was like, Laura, like I'm a week. I was like, look, look at this. And then the next day, it's like another name. And she's like, Sarah, just pick a name. <laughs> it was like two hours straight, though. Two hours straight yeah. of just looking up anatomy mm -hmm. puns. <laughs> yeah, we were had, almost like, a little we, notes. <laughs> we were almost the health ganglia. <laughs> almost. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. No, I love that name, honestly. Like, I remember seeing your account for the first time. I was like, that is so creative. Oh, thank you. That's so thank cool. <laughs> so, so I was actually wondering, like, how do you guys, like, come up with content? Do you guys typically, like, meet up, like, per week? Or is it kind of, like, when you, whatever you learn something in school, or you would just, I guess, just, like, meet up and be like, oh, we should definitely talk about, like, these certain topics, and these are important to talk about now. Um, especially like when we first started, we kind of came up with a strict schedule of when we would post. Um, so I posted on Monday, Christy would post on Wednesday, and then Teresa would post on Friday. Um, so because of that, we had to have content lined up in advance. So we always had a Zoom meeting every weekend. Um, it would always be a little different depending on what we were doing, but we always had a Zoom meeting every weekend to talk about the content that we would put out. And it was mostly based off of what our experiences were and what we talked about in school. But it was just a lot of brainstorming and just trying to come up with something that uh, could educate people on our individual disciplines and then how we would all work together. Especially because we wanted this, this Instagram to be for people who aren't sure what they wanted to do in the beginning. Mm -hmm. We definitely made sure to cover the basics. Um, so definitions of our profession, where we work, um, how to get there, all of those things we thought were, would have been helpful if we had that knowledge. Yeah. So to mm -hmm. have it all in just a few weeks on our Instagram, uh, we worked hard for those foundational posts. 
And then we kind of just, like Val said, we think about posts ahead of time, but um, right now it's more so still foundational knowledge wise. Um, we haven't really hit into like conditions and interventions just yet. Yeah, but we're planning to in the future. And like a lot of it is also because like we're trying to work it around like what I'm learning because Teresa and Val are a lot further ahead in their career paths, whereas like I've just started. Yeah, but that's okay because um, whatever Christy's learning, we're kind of trying to implement that into mm -hmm. what we're posting too, so that as she's making these posts with her perspective, she kind of learns too, and that helps you further like solidify whatever you're learning. We're right. trying to have like a balance between learning um, about individual professions and then learning about what our professions have in common and whatnot. So. <clears throat> no, yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that's really great how you guys are doing that, like doing interdisciplinary like collaboration within like the healthcare profession. And I was actually just curious, like, I guess maybe what would be like one thing or multiple things that you guys can think of that are important to know about interdisciplinary collaboration that like our audience could possibly know about? I think it's really important in general to understand what each profession does. So then when you work together with these other professions, you also understand each other's roles. And then I feel like a really big part of it is also having good communication and then just understanding kind of like the process and how to like explain to each other um, and keep each other updated with like a patient's condition. And I feel like interdisciplinary collaboration in general just really helps um, kind of streamline patient-centered care. So that's kind of what we're hoping to achieve with our page as well by like letting everyone learn about the different fields too. Um, and we also think collaboration is important along continuity of care. So for example, when a client um, presents in the ED and then goes to inpatient, then acute rehab, outpatient, and then SNF or like home or community, there has to be communication between all sorts of disciplines, but it can't really be effective unless everyone knows like they're part of the process and is willing to communicate that. I know that there's a lot of like, I, I've heard that there's been debate between like OT and PT's role in the hospital and how they may overlap. And there might be some, settings where people are like, oh, OT only does upper body, PT only does lower body, or like only PT can do walking. But really when you separate out like that, you kind of lose sight of why you're really there and what your role is as a practitioner. Like really, we're just all here to help clients get better um, and provide them the education that they need. But it's really important that we learn that everyone overlaps in one way or another, especially in the socio-emotional mm -hmm. aspect. And there's not really a way we can pull apart, oh, we are only responsible for this. We are only responsible for this. Healthcare is so holistic that there's really, there's really no way to do that. And like at the end of the day too, I feel like we can all learn something from each other as well. So I think that's what's so great about working together too. Honestly, I think too, that's like one of the important roles that we have. And I think that's the coolest role that we have, especially like for OT, that we do get to work with a speech or we do get to work with a doctor or we do even get to work with a PT. I think that makes our job interesting because we can always learn from each other. 
Yeah, and like understanding each other's scope of practice, then we can better provide care to patients. Because if the patient needs something that you feel like someone else can do better, or they have more knowledge in something else, Mm -hmm. then it would be better for that patient if you could um, be able to refer them out to someone else. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. I think that's super duper important for everyone to just realize that we're not like competing against each other. Like it's just, we're all working together as a team just to help our clients, our patients, whoever it may be. Totally understand that. And um, I remember seeing like a bit ago that you guys posted something about cultural relevancy. And I feel like that resonated with me like a lot because um, I feel like that's something that maybe isn't talked about enough just kind of just about mm-hmm. having like an understanding of the patient's point of view from whatever religion, what religious background they may have or um, like cultural background that they have. So I was just curious to see what you guys do currently or have done in the past to, um, I guess, advocate for that, either for patients or for people that are on your like field work, whatever it may be. As healthcare providers, we definitely do believe that we have a social responsibility that um, we have to take on to ensure the health of everyone, um, especially underserved communities or populations experiencing social injustice. So um, in college, I volunteered with um, several healthcare organizations to um, interact with the Asian American community and LA's homeless population to provide free health clinics and medical care in collaboration with medical students and doctors. And as a student in field work and also as a current practitioner, I do try my best to incorporate individual um, values and beliefs um, to personalize my sessions because like, for example, if my kiddo doesn't ever like eat this certain food, then why would I have him practice with that kind of, for example, American food, like in clinic, you know? So it's like small things like that where I have to understand what occupations are meaningful to my clients and also how that would portray in the home. And we're always thinking about like what kind of support system that they, that they have and what kind of values that they have. Um, we personally know that the familial bond runs deeply in Asian cultures. So some types of questions we would ask would include how would parents be helping out or siblings be helping out and have it to, to, to take into consideration Um, that there might be like some socioeconomic factors or social factors um, that might, that we might not immediately think of. And I think my, my best moment was being able to translate for a client during my hospital rotation. And no one else at the hospital, no one else on the inpatient team was Vietnamese, but I was able to translate for this client and he was in the ICU. Um, He wasn't responsive. They were doing passive range of motion on him but um, they saw more of a response from him when I was able to communicate with him. And so that was, a, that was a huge moment for me personally. So for me, my school uh, currently provides a lot of seminars on these topics um, regarding like cultural relevancy and like understanding the different social injustices um, that certain populations face. Um, And then as a future provider, it's just something I personally value so that I can better serve like our communities and kind of further personalized care for my patients. 
Um, so yeah, cultural relevancy is really important because you have to take into account the person as a whole. Um, you can't just treat every patient the same because everyone has their own background, um, especially like, for example, in Asian culture, my parents didn't really know what physical therapy was before I started to pursue it. And so it was just a lot of education because there's some people that they might not be familiar with your discipline or what you're trying to do for them, especially um, as your patients. And so being adamant about educating them on your roles, what you're trying to do and how you're trying to help them is really important, um, especially if they are unfamiliar with everything that you're trying to do because they're just trying to look for help. And if you just clearly communicate with them in a way that um, is sensitive to their own background, then it really makes a difference. The feedback on that, guys. Mm-hmm. We, we talked about positive. Have you guys had any had, like, negative scenarios that have happened to you in cultural sensitivity in healthcare as students and practitioners? The area that I live in, the area that I go to school in, it it's a very diverse area because we're in California and it's a very diverse population here. So I haven't really experienced that um, during school, but during clinicals, um, I went to Louisiana for my first one and it was a lot of Caucasian people that haven't seen very many Asian people. Um, so there'd be some people that be like, oh, are you Oriental or like, where are you from? And it's just, not even talking about being in the healthcare profession. It's just some people are unaware of how their words are offended. Like some people can be offended by their words. Um, And it was just eye-opening because in California, there's always been a lot of diversity, a lot of different kinds of people here. So I haven't really experienced that. But then even though some of the things that they said weren't very sensitive culturally, um, I just made sure to not really take it personally because the people over there, they just don't know and they haven't really experienced talking to other ethnicities before. Um, so they're just curious. It's just, it's more about intention than, than what they're actually saying. And I think it's important to understand that intention. I definitely agree with Val. Um, I had an encounter where this was during grad school, like during my rotations. I'm sure that like some of us have heard that hospital rotations are very difficult. And this person, I don't know if they assumed, but they told me after the fact that they were surprised Mm -hmm. that I handled it as well as I did because they thought that I was more timid, that I was shy that I was like too scared to ask questions, but that that's definitely not my personality. I'm very, not loud, but I'm, I'm not scared to ask questions. I ask for help when needed. I'm very upfront about my expectations, my role, and like the type of help I need in order to succeed. And I'm very communicative in that way. So when I learned after the fact that that person did not, did not expect that of me, I was trying my best not to feel hurt. Um, because they didn't know me. Of course, no hard feelings, but it was just a a surprise to me because I haven't, I felt like I haven't heard that stereotype in a while. 
I think I had um, a similar experience to Val um, while I was volunteering at a hospital. This was during undergrad and it was at like a veterans hospital. So the patients are a little older and like I know the patient didn't mean like um, any or didn't have any bad intentions, but I would get it a lot where they would ask me like, oh, like, were you in the Korean War? Like, I think that like, I think I've seen you. And I would just be like, oh, like, I don't know how to respond to this. Um, and like, I would just get questions like that a lot or like, oh, like, where are you from? And then, oh no, like, where are you really from? And things like that, so. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. That's, I can understand how that can get irritating, but at the same time, I understand that you kind of have to just kind of take a step back and realize that they may not understand that that is not something. Mm -hmm. I totally get that. I don't know about you guys, but like my school, they talk about what like professionalism is and how to combat what a patient might think of you. But at the same token, you have um, not only patients, but then you have maybe medical professionals doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that first semester learning that I was like, you know, well, it's still kind of taboo, but I feel like we should talk about it. And one thing I think you guys do a good job is, you know, talking about it, but we talk about the positive and sometimes we don't talk about the negative. And I thought, yeah, I, I definitely like that question. Like you're asking. Yeah, I thought that was a really form. good question. <laughs> and it's hard too, cause you got to put, you know, you got to put that professional cap on, but sometimes you mm -hmm. don't really know how to respond. And yeah, some people might take that. Take you, takes you back. Yeah. yeah. They might take it a different way. Like here in Florida, where I'm from, it's very cultured, but then like where I go to school in the area, it's not. So like, mm -hmm. it's that, you know, gray area of like, oh, okay, I understand you, but <laughs> let me inform <laughs> you, you know? Oh, so have you also had positive and negative encounters as well um, at school? Yes, when I was volunteering, yes. However, it's actually the opposite. So when I was volunteering, um, more Spanish and Portuguese patients but it's funny, the people in the clinic were more Caucasian. So it's oh. like, um, there's a lot of translators, there's a lot of, you know, people coming in and out just for, you know, the speech and the PT to do treatment. But then you have like the mm. OT who is Spanish and can do treatment perfectly fine. Mm. And I feel like yeah. that can take away from the experience because there's that comfort level, you know, when someone understands, oh, you <laughs> understand where I'm from. And then mm -hmm. to get that and to perform like proper interventions for them, it, it kind of makes a difference because they're either going to succeed in their treatment or not. So we also talk a lot about the role of like being a student and that transition. I don't know if you guys want to share that transition from undergrad to graduate school to being in the profession or just talk about like some positive and negative experiences in grad school or field work or, you know, working right now. I think my experience was um, a, a decent one in the sense that like when I graduated undergrad, I knew that I wanted to go into OT school. And I know that that's not the case for everyone. Um, I discovered OT towards the end of my third year, but I couldn't, I couldn't fit in my prerequisites for OT school while still an undergrad because I, I think I capped out on my, like my four-year plan with my minor. So I didn't complete my prerequisites until I, I moved home after undergrad and then did a gap year. And that gap year was, I think, very stressful. I remember Val and I were in a coffee shop together. We were doing our applications together and 
studying for the GRE and whatnot. Um, and it was kind of just like, oh, I have to put one step in front of the other. This is the next step I have to take. And you just keep doing that until applications are due. And it just feels nonstop. But after, after I got into grad school, it was like a very short celebration before starting again, because two months later, I started OT school immediately. But that transition wasn't personally difficult for me just because I was in school pretty much that whole time. I was in undergrad, then prerequisites, and then grad school. But the transition from grad student to practitioner has definitely been very hard. Um, there are definitely, I mean, every day I still feel like a student. I am, you know, like attending conferences, reading up on theory, treatment planning still as if I was a student. And then I'm, I'm trying to talk to my friends about not feeling guilty for like taking a break. Cause you know, like as a grad student, you kind of just, you go to school, you go home and you treatment plan or you study up until you sleep and then you wake up again, do it the next day. And so I feel like personally, I've been habituating to that kind of grind. And right now, while I still feel like I'm grinding, it's just not the same, just not the same thing. There's definitely a lot of confidence to be built as a new grad practitioner. But um, I personally feel like my transition from grad student to practitioner is harder than undergrad to grad student. Why would you say it's harder, the transition? Because I am now personally responsible for clients. Uh, I'm doing like goal updates. I'm starting to do reevaluations. I'm talking to parents after a session. Like I no longer have a clinical instructor to fall back on. I can't just say, oh, I'm a student, it's chill, it's all right, like no one got hurt, right? I think um, that idea provides a lot of pressure, but at the same time, it also provides confidence. You know, like on the other side of the coin, like this is my kid, these are my goals, these are my treatment plans, and I came up with them, and their success is like, not, um, not because of me, but um, I, because I have more responsibility, it's like I get to take pride in the fact that they are enjoying my sessions. And so I think that has also helped a lot in terms of that transitioning. But I would say still difficult because um, the transition from undergrad to grad student, you're still, you're still a student and you're still learning. And it's just a different type of learning though. I think learning an undergrad personally is very different in the sense that I am much more engaged, I am much more motivated, um, and you just process information differently. Yeah, I totally agree with that, honestly, because I know for me, even for me with an undergrad, I feel like I, it wasn't as valuable to me, in a sense, because it wasn't yeah. to my career, you know, it was just like almost in a sense prereqs to get into grad school for OT school, and I, I agree with you with the sense that grad school is a totally different processing, because it's just, it's a lot more intense, I've realized, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. a lot more intense than undergrad, so. Do they yeah. provide mentoring where you're at? Like, as far as you have someone to learn from, or are you kind of, like, by yourself? At my site, um, it's not a very big clinic. It's a very small clinic, and my boss is available as needed, um, but there's no one, like, directly saying, oh, you should have done, you should do this, or you should do that. It's more so if I have questions, I'll go to her, um, so it's more indirect. I know that there are other sites that provide like a mentorship program where they take you through these certain training steps and then throw you out there like a step-by-step -step process. 
Um, but for me, um, it's more, it's more laid back. I know that people do different, do well with different kinds of leadership. I would say it's not, um, it's not the type of supervision I'm used to, but I'm, I'm trying to make it work. <laughs> yeah, that was a popular question I saw, like, in one of the, like, Facebook groups. And um, I, you know, I thought about it because like where I did hours, there was one, only one OT. So like the fact that even if you were to get an, an, someone else to help you that is in your field, it, it could be useful, but I feel like, you know, the mentorship is different because you kind of have to do it. And then if you have questions, ask them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's de it was definitely a priority for me when searching for jobs, I didn't want to just be thrown in there, but it's kind of hard to gauge during an interview because they could tell you, oh yes, we give you mentorship, but then come hiring, they could just say, oh, like text me or email me when you need me, bye. <laughs> I didn't know about that, honestly, until you brought that up. Sorry about how like people do like mentorship, things like that, once you get out there. What about um, your transitions, Val and Christy? How are those like for you? Um, so I went to grad school right after undergrad. So that means that I applied during undergrad. Um, and that was really stressful because none of my friends really did the same thing. So I didn't really have like a mentor or someone who could tell me, okay, you need to do this at this time. You need to do this too. Um, so I kind of just figured it out on my own. <laughs> but in terms of just like studying in undergrad, feel like like what you said earlier um it was just a lot of memorizing for the test and it's stuff that you knew that you didn't really need later on in the future so you didn't really retain that information but then in grad school that's when you really tried to for the most part retain everything because you know that you're going to need this information for the rest of your career because um as people in the healthcare profession this information that we learn, we're using it on real people. It's not like we're studying for computer program or something. Like we're actually treating real people. We could, the things that we do affect their lives. And because in your, when you're in grad school, you should be passionate about the field that you're going into. And so, because all these classes are kind of geared more towards what we want to do for the rest of our lives. Um, I feel like a lot of us are a lot more engaged like what Teresa said and um, we're learning it for our own benefit instead of learning it for the test. So for me I took uh, three gap years so there was definitely a big kind of a big transition going back to school for me but even though like I, I always knew I wanted to be a physician growing up I still took those three years off and um, just to like really make sure that medicine was something that I am really passionate about and I really want to dedicate myself to, um, which is why I think it's so important for people to really take the time to find their passion and not like feel that sense of rush. Because during my gap years, I would constantly um, like with social media and just like like other people from your class that graduated with you, you kind of see people moving forward with their career paths. And then meanwhile, like, I would be like, oh, like, I'm still, like, working as a medical assistant or volunteering. Like, I'm, like, in, like, it kind of feels like being in a limbo. And I would have, like, moments where I would kind of doubt myself a lot. Um, so I feel like that was something that was really tricky about just being in that limbo and, like, just not questioning yourself. And then 
I, I would feel like I would kind of question whether I was ready to even apply or not. And then once I got into medical school, I think it was all, it, like I was really happy, but then um, being in the process, just like finally getting to do what you worked so hard. Like I like my friends and I would always talk about how hard we worked to like get here and then kind of how much our past selves would be happy to be learning everything that we're learning now. But at the same time, even though we're really passionate about what we learn and how it's all really relevant, it's just so much information like hitting you at the same time. And it's really easy to feel like overwhelmed. And then um, sometimes like just talking to other classmates, you're kind of like, oh, like, how does this person know everything already? And like, I'm still like kind of chipping away at it. So it's, it's really humbling but also it can be really imposter syndrome can be really real so it's just kind of like I'm constantly trying to remind myself like oh like you know there's a reason why you got here and um yeah so that's just kind of something I've been working with you're doing great we're all doing great <laughs> no that comparison trap is real you know and I I tell Laura this all the time you know like the importance of friends and family but when you're the let's say the only one going to like mm -hmm. a medical profession and they only needed a four-year degree and they're already like you know succeeding and you're not you're like damn what is wrong with me it's real you yeah. have to remind yourself this is why i'm doing this <laughs> why I want this seriously come on <laughs> like it's real. oh yeah I, I agree with you my brother he's two years younger than me he just graduated from college and he just got a job as a software engineer is making six figures already and I'm still in school <gasps> yeah. oh my god so I get it but um, I mean we're gonna do what we like to do so as long as you're happy doing what you're doing then it's all good mm -hmm. so this brings me back to another question now that you said that mm -hmm. How, did you guys work when you were in school or just focus on school uh, um, I worked part-time just to kind of like make my own money and like get like I never had a job before college so I was like oh like I feel like this will be a good experience um it wasn't really related to healthcare <laughs> per se um I worked as a scanner like my first ever job during undergrad was like a scanner for like the anesthesiology department at a hospital so I just like made sure like all the paperwork was like organized and all that um, and that like the finance, like the finances matched up, but it was like really flexible. So it was like a nice, it was a nice first job for a college student, in my opinion. In undergrad, I worked as a peer counselor for Southeast Asian students. Um, and I found that job very special because I was able to bring in my cultural identity and cultural relevancy and relating it back to education for them. And so I think, um, that organization was definitely pivotal pivotal to like me finding OT. And I also worked as a peer advisor for um, my college's career center as well. But in grad school, I did not work um, just because it wasn't recommended. Um, it's definitely doable. I had a, definitely a handful of friends who definitely had to maintain part-time jobs and it, was more difficult for them, but they still made it through. For those who have to make ends meet, you do what you have to do, right? But 
um, I feel very grateful that I was privileged enough to be able to stop work for a little bit and focus on my studies um, and focus on making, you know, like grad school friends and building my professional network and whatnot. Um, in undergrad, I worked as a physical therapy aide. Um, I also worked at the special collections at the library, so like with artifacts and old photos and stuff. And then I was also the photo editor for the yearbook. I know there's a yearbook in undergrad. <laughs> um, but at one point, I was working all three of those at the same time. But um, it, it was... I think it was doable. Um, in grad school, I worked as a tutor for most of it. Um, and that was, I think that was, I think that's the easiest job to work if you're in school, in grad school, because you're teaching other students what you've already learned, but it helps you mm -hmm. study more too. Um, and usually it's like after school or something, it's super flexible, so. And how do you guys handle that that type of stress like what's one thing that you guys do to handle like i would say like maybe student burnout or you know just that stress of like that you get at the point of the semester like oh my god can i really do this i definitely had a core group in my grad program that i vented to a lot and we would have like our own texts and whatnot um for us, we made it a mini adventure to study at different places each weekend. So even though we were still studying all day, we were trying like new boba drinks or new coffee shops and that would be our mini adventure. And I, I personally never studied for more than four hours at a time. So I found that that amount of time worked for me. Um, and I found out what study habits worked for me. I, I did not study very effectively in undergrad. But in grad school, I actually actually got more sleep, believe it or not, because I was able to study more efficiently, especially for me. I have never thought I was a group studier until grad school. Like, I just happened to find like-minded people that, um, that were kind of like on the same schedule as me in terms of studying. So we would make sure that we were all caught up and then we would meet and then just teach each other the information. You can read off of your notes or whatnot, but we would teach. And then the next time we meet, we would ask questions and maybe practice on each other if it was like manual muscle testing or major motion, palpations, whatever it is. And so I personally had a group to fall back on. And I think that was really great for my mental health because I was able to not only see them as classmates, but to see them as lifelong friends eventually. And we definitely still keep in touch all the time. So I definitely think they were my saving grace <laughs> to prevent student burnout. I definitely agree with Teresa. Um, I have a so I, I was lucky enough, even though um, most of our classes were online, I was fortunate enough to kind of find my solid group of friends, despite like Zoom grad school. <laughs> and I feel like just having people who are not only um, who not only understand what you're going through, but can also be there for you as like support. Like whenever I catch myself feeling like very defeated or down, like they're there to pick me up and like remind me like, oh, like Christy, like you can do this. Like we can do this together and we'll like study. Um, 
for more than four hour blocks, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll like, we'll get like, we'll order takeout or like um, order drinks to go or something as like our little like bonus for like studying so hard. And it's just like those little, those little breaks and like reminding each other like not to feel bad if we feel like we're not productive, we'll like remind each other like, oh, like, but you did this today and that was so good. So we're kind of like each other's like positive reinforcers. Yeah, I agree with Teresa and Christy. I think your group of friends and the people that you hang out with and study with um, can really help you go through that student burnout because it is really hard. I mean, you're in grad school and they're just gonna throw stuff at you nonstop. Um, and so by having people to push you, but also to let you know that you don't have to be going like 100 miles per hour all of the time, like you need that balance between working hard and then relaxing for your, your own mental health. And so I think it's really important to have that balance, um, especially with your group of friends, like my group of friends, especially in the beginning, after every test, we would have a party. <laughs> I mean, we can't do that now, mm -hmm. but um, it's good to have that something to kind of look forward to um, with mm -hmm. every milestone because it is, it's more like a marathon than a race and you have to keep going and you have to find those things that motivate you to go to that next level. Um, mm -hmm. And even though you're going to be studying all the time, regardless of which profession you go into, it's really important to make sure that you're doing other things besides studying. Or um, mm -hmm. if you are studying, just make sure you're studying efficiently and how, instead of just like wasting your time studying eight hours straight and not retaining anything. Um, and so that's why I really made my um, study Instagram um, because I'm a really visual person. So by drawing out those diagrams, it made it a lot easier for me to understand and retain the information. And then it would also help my friends too. So that's why I started that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's really, really cool that you have that. And do you use like a specific app to actually um, create all those drawings? Uh, yeah, I use the Notability app on the iPad. So you said you originally created that just because um, to like help yourself and your friends just kind of like get a general idea of the topics? Yeah, I mean, I already drew my notes out like that. And then I would always send them to my friends anyway, because we would all have iPads or MacBooks or something. And we would just all airdrop it to each other. <laughs> um, and so I was like, might as well put it on something so that other people could have it too. So I don't have to keep sending it to people. <laughs> um, but also because like we're all broke students and we all we have to pay for everything especially books and stuff like that and so like if we just try to help each other then we'll we're just going to be helping the future you know um instead of some people told me to like sell my notes but like we're all broke I know people are just going to send it out anyway so <laughs> might as well help each other out you know going off of that idea um one of the first things our professor told us during our first semester was that the competition stops here. So yes, you were competing against other applicants to get into grad school, but now that you've made it really, these are your future colleagues and we should be bringing each other up. 
So um, I would say if you find grad school difficult, please don't be afraid to ask for help because everyone else is also struggling whether or not they show it. And um, it's difficult to talk about, difficult to admit, but we really have to be vulnerable and courageous during times like this because this is where you're growing and you're never gonna get that time back with your classmates. And so now would be the time to build those relationships. Um, and they're only gonna go grow stronger from here on out. Yeah, it's just like a hard time right now, you know, especially with um, like doing Zoom classes and stuff like that. It's just, it's hard for everybody. So I, I totally understand that. This year too, a year we'll never forget. That is unfortunate. Yeah. yeah, that is very true. <laughs> Guys, you have been a pleasure. Um, Laura and I want to be respectful of your time. Yes. If each one of you could just drop your favorite resource, a book, a podcast, a YouTuber that you like to de-stress or that helps you study or um, Val, she has her Instagram to help with notes. So we'll put that mm -hmm. in the comments too for everyone <laughs> else you. to learn. Um, but yeah, if you just want to drop your favorite type of resource. Um, well, mine is obviously study with an SBT. <laughs> um, but in addition, in addition to Val, I was just gonna stuff, say that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really enjoyed the book called "Thanks for the Feedback." I picked this up um, based on one of my faculty um, faculty professors' recommendation uh, right before I started my hospital rotation. I was really nervous about level twos, and it's. Of course, it can be really nerve wracking because someone's looking at you, looking over your shoulder all the time. Like you just, you do one thing wrong, they're going to blow up at you. And so I felt like I was constantly anxious and I wanted this book because I heard that it provides you, um, it allows you to reflect on how you receive feedback, how you give it, and then how you respond to it. Um, and so it talks about how we can constructively move forward. I think it's helpful in all aspects of life, not only school and work, but also our social relationships with our family, our significant others, our siblings and whatnot. Um, I th think it definitely helps you be more mindful about who you are in relation to other people around you. So it's, that book is really a mix of like psychology, which is what I'm totally into and neuroscience and behavior. Um, it helps you not take feedback so personally. And I think that could be um, a lesson for everyone. Um, and I think after reading that book, I was just so much more uh, mindful, um, still anxious, but definitely less anxious. And I, I would highly recommend it to everyone, no matter how old you are, where you are in your career, et cetera. Um, another podcast that I really love was the OT Prepper podcast. I use this podcast to study for the NBCOT. Um, Miles has great PDFs, acronyms, and strategies to understand difficult concepts and definitely great examples. And he's funny. So that just helps with it all for sure. So uh, when I first uh, was getting kind of adjusted to medical school, um, she has an Instagram at Kelly Takes Medicine, but she also has a blog. Um, it's called talesoftainting.com. And she just, she helped me. She's a third year medical student and she just gives really good advice. And she goes over like all, it's, 
uh, goes over like all the different resources for medical school because sometimes um, I feel like you can be overwhelmed with resources. Like my school and my classmates, they, uh, they're really helpful and they share everything, but at the same time, you can definitely be overwhelmed with kind of like where to start. And I feel like Kelly does a really great job of kind of summing up um, like what kind of tools would be good for what kind of learners. Um, and that just kind of helped me transition, especially during this first semester a lot. So my cohort and I, we're gonna start studying for the MPTE soon, which is the um, board exam for PTs. Um, and so the podcast that I was listening to um, was the MPTE clinical files. And it's really helpful because they have a question per episode and they kind of break it down for you. Um, but it's really nice and simple and they give mnemonics and stuff like that too. Um, but just for like content in general, I really liked Two Docs with Two Cents, um, their podcast. I haven't listened to a lot of podcasts recently, but um, back then when I used to drive an hour back and forth um, to go visit my boyfriend on the weekends, I would use, listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, and so I listened to Two Docs with Two Cents. It's basically two um, PTs, their husband and wife. And then they interview a lot of different people, PTs and people um, in other professions too, um, about different topics and stuff like that. But I really liked um, that podcast because it was you learned a lot from it, but it wasn't just purely like educational. They talked about a lot of um, really like controversial, controversial stuff too um, that's happening in the healthcare community. And so I thought it was really, really cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Hey, thank you so much for having us. Thank this you was definitely a very us. fun yeah. conversation. <laughs> And we really enjoyed like all of the questions you guys had prepared for us too. Like they were really unique and you could tell yeah. that they were really well thought out. So mm -hmm. thank you. <laughs> thank you we for try. We try. <laughs> hey everyone, if you liked today's episode, please make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on our weekly chats. You can also find us on Instagram at the modern OT underscore podcast. There will be new episodes released every Friday, so feel free to reach out to us. We would love to connect with you.